0: The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life, they stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open the graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today is the... The final Sunday in our series, How Do I Pray? And I hope that throughout the series it's been encouraging. I hope that it's been helpful, um, not just in understanding prayer, but being encouraged by the stories of prayer uh, that a number of you were able to share throughout this series. Um, those of you who didn't get a chance to be part of what we called the prayer course over the last six weeks, I want to encourage you to check out all the resources that are available. And actually, we went online and on our website, if you go to stjohnselcorn.com slash pray, um, we put a lot of the resources that those courses found to be most helpful directly as a link there. Um, one of them is a daily devotional called Lectio 365. Um, and I've been using it throughout this whole series. It's 10 minutes or less. Um, every morning I used it this morning and you can read through it there's scripture there's some prayers prepared or you can listen to it and they actually record it's a fresh recording and speaks into in some instances the the um, whatever's happening in the church calendar and in our lives right now in culture um, which has been really helpful to me at least and especially to be able to listen to it because How often do you come to God in prayer and you go, you know what, it's not really a time issue, it's a scattered mind issue. Does anybody else struggle with that, show of hands? I love this because on those days, I don't even have to read it, I can just press play and I can listen. And so my rhythm has been dropping my kids off at school and then I go and spend ten minutes somewhere quiet by myself, and I listen, and so I really want to encourage you, check that out, check out the other tools, they're all there on our website, and I hope that those will help us to continue to live the life of prayer that we've been entering into the last six weeks. Uh, but it was a couple of weeks ago, I, I was, actually, I came across an interesting headline that I thought would be relevant at some point in this series. Uh, the title for this headline was, How Much Does Prayer Weigh? That's an interesting question, Right? How much does prayer weigh? And so I saved it. I didn't read it until just this past week. And what I found is it was an article that outlined an interview by a psychologist. His name is Kevin Ladd. He's a professor at Indiana University South Bend, and his work over the last several decades has led to scientific research on the impact that prayer has on individuals and relationships. And at the very beginning, he he actually it's almost kind of clickbait, right? Because I want to know like how much does prayer way like that's the question and he said the problem with trying to scientifically study prayer is you know the scientific process leads you to try to go through every step of something and you can't study what the power behind prayer is it's a mystery you can't study uh, the substance you you can't study that part but he said what you can study is you can study the impact that prayer has on people who pray. And he talks about how 30 years ago he got into this as a PhD student that was working with a group of breast cancer survivors. And they wanted to know, these are people that were at this point in remission and they wanted to know how are they taking care of themselves? How are they surviving? How are they exercising? What kinds of things are they doing? And they didn't even have a question that they were asking them about prayer, But prayer kept coming up just spontaneously over and over again... Everybody was praying. And I thought of that, and I thought about someone who shared a prayer experience with us. Um, it was uh, it, They were actually at the last service, Marilyn Bramer and her husband Bob, and she had this experience. When I asked you to share with me your experiences in prayer, she sent me an email. She said, I don't want to speak in church. Don't videotape me, but you can share my story. And so I waited, and the Lord brought it to us for this morning um, because she is a cancer survivor. And it's been 30 years, this year, since she was first diagnosed with melanoma skin cancer. And she said one of her favorite verses is Philippians 4, where, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in, with thanksgiving and supplication, with prayer, bringing to God everything. And she brings this verse up in her mind every year when she goes back to the dermatologist, and the doctor looks back at her 30-year history and says to her, you are really lucky to be alive. Because she said, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. And I am blessed because God has been with me in the midst of this. That I know that my prayers have been answered. And she said, and I know I need to be smart. I never go in the sun, all of those kinds of things. And then two years ago, three years ago now actually, um, her daughter was diagnosed with cancer too. And so again, she was brought to her knees and praise be to God her daughter too has made a full recovery and is now in remission. And both of them would say that one of the most powerful things in their life that hasn't just carried them through that season of recovering but continues to carry them through this life that cancer is now always a part of is the power of prayer and the presence of God carrying them through this together. And that's what lads when he wasn't even trying to study it. And so for the last 30 years, he's been studying prayer and the effects of prayer on other people. And again, since he said you can't necessarily quantify the power behind prayer, you can see its impact. And he said it's a mystery because it's not always linear. It's not like if you pray more, more things happen. He, he compared it to aspirin. He said some people think of it like medicine. Like if I have kind of a headache, I take one. If I really have a headache, I take two. That's not how prayer works, is it? Because sometimes you could pray about something all day long and it doesn't come to the conclusion you're looking for. And other times you could pray without, without words like we learned from Romans last week. Wordless groans and God knows what you mean and he's present within it. But in every case the power of prayer is real. And that's what the author wanted the reader to know. Is that the power of prayer is real and that God does things that are unexplainable. When we come before him in prayer. And we're seeing one of those things as we look at our reading today in the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel. Uh, Now, how many of you have heard the story of the Valley of Dry Bones before? Show of hands. All right, most of you have. I was looking back and I have not preached through Ezekiel very often. I feel like we, we could do a whole series on this book. It's just an incredible, incredible story. Um, even if you've never heard the story, you probably heard the song that it inspired. Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Bones. That's the only song I'm going to leave the musician stuff to Ryan, okay? Um, but that's the song. That's where it began. And Ezekiel, if you don't know, he's an Old Testament prophet and priest and he was one of the first wave of God's people to be taken captive by the Babylonians. They were forced out of Jerusalem, they were forced to live in exile in Babylon, and all of this historically took place about 600 years before Jesus. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, we've kind of had to cover some of this in this series, you might remember that all the way back in Genesis there was a covenant made between God and Abraham. And God said to Abraham that you're going to have descendants, and those descendants are going to be so numerous, they're going to outnumber the stars in the sky, and they're going to become a nation, and that nation is going to be blessed so that they can bless the world. And so all that happened, that came into fruition, and that became the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And if you fast forward a few generations, you'll see that that they eventually find themselves in slavery and bondage in Egypt. And we remembered last week some of the Jewish festivals that remember what God did after that, like the Passover festival, when God saved them from slavery in Egypt, and then 50 days later, the Jewish Pentecost, or in Hebrew, Shavuot, which was when they remember that God gave them his word, when God renewed the covenant and the promise and showed them that now that you're free again, the promise I made to your forefathers is still true. I still want to use you to bless the world, and this is the way in which it's going to look. And if we go back to the word that they thank God for giving them, in Deuteronomy 7, we see that reminder. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you. He's speaking to Israel. And choose you because you were more numerous than other people. It wasn't because you were better. It was for you were the fewest of all people. It was because the Lord loved you. That's why he picked you. And kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors. And he brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the land of slavery. From the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God. God is God. He is the faithful God keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commands. See, God wants them to know that He didn't choose them because they were better than everybody around them. And part of that's pride, but the other part of that is if you believe that you've been chosen because you're better than everyone and you're not you start to try to strive to a standard that you're never going to achieve. And that becomes crushing, and God did not want that for his chosen people. And the same is true for you and me. I think about the challenges of prayer. And I think about how so many people, this article that I read, he talked about one of the biggest things that people talk about over and over again when it comes to prayer is that they're afraid they're doing it wrong. Like, like how many of you, just show of hands, and I'll put my hands up, are ever concerned that you're not doing it right? Right? And, and if you can be around someone who does it really well, then it makes you think, oh no, Like, what, what am I doing? Am I, I, I don't know how to express myself in that way. Uh, am I not praying the right way? And, and he said, what we've been saying this entire time, that, that prayer is not about doing something. It's not about the specific words. It's about connecting with someone. And that's why wordless groans can be part of our prayer. And we've defined prayer. And say it with me as, as this. Prayer connects the present to the eternal. That's what we've learned from the Lord's Prayer, that that's what prayer is. It's connecting the present to the eternal. It's connecting your present moments to the eternal presence of God. And what we see in our reading today is that things happen when you do that, like bones that literally come to life. And so back to that history lesson of the nation of Israel. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He gave them the word on Pentecost. But unfortunately, they were not faithful. And at the time of Ezekiel, they were once again in bondage. This time it was to the Babylonians. And the reason was because they were not faithful to God in the way that they were called to be in Deuteronomy. They, they weren't loving him the way they were supposed to. They were not keeping his commands. If you read the first 36 chapters of Ezekiel, you'll learn just how unfaithful they were. They were worshiping other gods in Jerusalem. They were breaking the commandments. They were living for themselves. At one point, the very essence of God, his presence that was in the temple, just up and left, because they were worshiping everything and anything in the temple, and went to Babylon, where they were being exiled into, and I actually love that part of the story, because it tells me that God's presence actually follows us even when we're not faithful. It tells us that he follows us into the moments of exile, that he's with us, God never left them, but what we see here from the prophet Ezekiel is that in 37, the narrative begins to shift. And you can get so downtrodden as you look at the consequences in this moment in history. But Ezekiel brings a vision that God gave him. And, and there's a glimmer of hope in the midst of all of this. And so again, verse, verses 1 and 2, Ezekiel 37. This is the prophet speaking. He said, The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, the bones that were very dry this this whole scene is is shocking if you think about it uh, we're we're so conditioned right to, to sing songs like dumb bones dumb bones or how how many people here do you like a good good horror movie Uh, Show of hands, anybody? Ryan and I were talking about horror movies yesterday, so I was thinking about this. You know, Hollywood, it it just kind of desensitizes us. Like when you're a kid or you have kids and they say, I want to be a skeleton for Halloween, you just just do that. And so you read this and you start to think about those kinds of things and you almost might miss what this really means. This was a travesty that God is showing Ezekiel. It's a valley of human bones. Like human remains. Like, what this is is a mass grave. And on top of it, they're not even buried. Like, this is the epitome of disrespecting the dead, that these bodies were just left to the vultures. Another prophet that lived around this general time, Jeremiah, he, he called out the king of Judah, which was one of the two nations that split of God's people and how evil he was. And, and one of the proclamations against him was this. He said, he will have the burial of a donkey he will be dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. This was the epitome of disrespecting the dead. That's how you bury a donkey, but that is not how you bury people. And it wasn't how you buried them then, and it isn't how you bury them now. And yet, that's the image that Ezekiel has before him. It's an entire valley of people that have been disgracefully thrown away and left with nothing but bones because they've been picked apart by the vultures. And it was actually just a few Sundays ago that I could better appreciate this. Um, My wife, Alyssa, and the kids, they left church before I did after worship. And they sent me this picture. This is our front yard. They pulled into the driveway. And what we believe to be a Cooper's hawk, they looked it up. Um, If anybody knows birds better than us and you can correct me, let me know. Um, It it doesn't look as impressive as it did in real life is what I'm told. It was gone by the time I came home. Um, But it found another bird that it decided that it was going to eat for lunch. And it decided to make its lunch in our front yard. (laughs) And so Alyssa and the kids, they pull up in the minivan and there's this hawk eating this bird and it's all over and it's disgusting and it's a mess and this hawk is terrifying and so what do they do? They want to scare it away, right? So they honk the horn. It doesn't go away. And so then they started throwing toys out the window (laughs) to try to scare it and it still didn't go away. And I'm on the phone at this point with Alyssa and she's like, you know what? I'm going to take the kids to McDonald's for ice cream. And I said, that's fine, and if you come back and it's still there, we're just going to sell the house. Like, fully furnished, like, don't go in. It's not worth it, right? <laughs> just just don't do it. Thankfully, though, thankfully, though, when we came back home, it was gone. And Alyssa told me, she said, I don't know what we're going to come back to, but you have to clean it up. You have to clean it up when you get home. And so I was ready, right? I'm ready to put on my dirty clothes, and I got home. And by the time I got home, the bird was well done, And I went into my front yard, and what I found was that there was no mess at all. That bird ate everything. That bird ate everything, even most of the feathers. All that was left were the bones. All that was left were the bones. And it was actually quite disturbing. And that's just a bird. That's just a bird. Ezekiel is is looking over a valley of human bones that have been left to the vultures, and they've been picked clean. And if you've read the first 36 chapters of Ezekiel, what you'll see is clearly God is making a point in this vision. And his point is he wants to show just how far gone his chosen people have fallen in their mistakes and their sin and their lack of faith in the evil in their world. They're now just bones, disgraced, lifeless bones. And then God asks what I would feel like is kind of a silly question. Verse 3, he says, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? I mean, this would be like, like my three-year-old Sophie when I got home. I mean, they were, she was quite sad, right? right? This, is, this is a bird, and this bird died. It would be like her coming to me and saying, Daddy, Daddy, can you make it feel better? No. Like, I would know the answer to that question. God is saying the same thing. He says, can these bones live? But see, Ezekiel has more faith than I do. This is how he answers it, verse 3. He said, sovereign Lord, you know... (laughs) You alone know if these bones can live. And so God said to me, he said, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you. I will make flesh come upon you. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And what we see is a glimmer of the true power of God's words. And not just God's words, but this isn't God speaking. This is God speaking to Ezekiel and saying, you say these words. You speak these words words this is the power that the people of God who are holy and dearly loved have access to that by His words and our words from him and to others God can bring life to death and this is true. And it isn't just true for us in literal physical death, but it's also true in life today. Because look at what happens if you fast forward to verse 11. He said to me, God said to to the prophet, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Remember, this is an image to make a point. These bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We have been cut off. And I was reading this and I'm like, oh my goodness, this entire passage is about hopelessness. That's what it is. It's about hopelessness. And it's not about people who are lacking in hope. It's about people who have no hope at all. The bones represent the hope of the people in that moment that they were living. In the original Hebrew is two words. It is hope and it is perished. Hope that is gone. Hope that is dead. Hope that is completely gone away without any life left in it. Just like the bones in the valley. And it's in that moment. It's in that state when God's word and his breath begins to do what only he can and he brings back to life in the same way that he did all the way back in Genesis if you remember the story of creation that's the image that's coming to mind that's the image God wants us to see as he breathes life back into the dry bones and I love the description that he does it piece by piece, part by part, attaching tendons and flesh and skin and then breathing life into what no longer had life, that life might live again. And then 600 years later, when Jesus came, he too said, that what Ezekiel saw in this vision will not only happen in the life to come, but it can happen right now. John 5, he said this Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to us. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This brings us hope. And it brings hope for those who have gone before us in death. Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. But for those of us who are here today, I want you to hear that it also gives hope to the dry bones that we live with every day. Because you might not be completely dead, but just think for a minute. Are there places inside of you that feel dead? Are there dead parts in us that have lost their life Things that have been picked apart by the vultures of evil and sin in this world, left for nothing. And I'm guessing that all of us have something that we can think of. And, and when we pray, when we invite the eternal into that present moment, what we are doing is we are inviting God's spirit to piece by piece put back the pieces every tendon every molecule of skin and breathe life back into us and it's a process it was a process then it's a process now it will come to fruition at the end of time but it's a process that's promised today and that's my prayer for you this week because i just have to leave you with this it was a difficult week to write a sermon It was a difficult week to write a sermon. Not the first time it's been a difficult week, but I just felt burdened as I thought about all the pain in our world. As I thought about the physical pain, as I thought about the pain of death. As I look into some of your eyes and I know exactly what that means for you this week and others of you that I don't have any clue, but I know that God does know the pain in our relationships, in our world, and I don't know about you, but I needed to hear this week that that this story isn't just about what God's going to do in some far-off distant time when we die and go to heaven to be with him, but this is God being able to breathe his hope and in life into lifeless things today. And my prayer is that that might encourage you too. And so let's, let's pray for that right now as we are together. Lord Jesus, you said, that a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Lord, we come before you desperate to hear the voice of the Son of God. And we come to you encouraged by what we proclaimed and celebrated last week on Pentecost. That your word isn't the only way in which you speak, but that your words speak through your spirit, which dwells in us. And so God, I bring before you this week, whatever it is that we come before you with, that each and every one of us brings dry bones in our lives. Places that that we're not just lacking in hope, but we've lost all hope. It's gone. It's like the remains of that bird in my front yard. You can't even tell what it is anymore. It has perished. And Jesus, without you, that might be the way that it feels forevermore, which is why you give us your word which is why you have given us your spirit, which is why you give us the promise that you gave Ezekiel, that we could prophesy that your spirit can speak words and groans into the hopeless states of our lives and that we can proclaim and, God, that we can rest and that we can continue to pray for the work that only your spirit can do by one piece at a time attaching tendons and skin and flesh to the lifeless places of this world that you might bring hope and life again. And so I pray for that, God, for each person who is gathered here. I pray for the hope to know that that you can knit us together in that way and you will. Just like the thief that was on the cross with you and you looked at him and you said that we will be together today in paradise. There is hope when our physical bodies perish and become bones. But your promise is that we don't have to wait for that hope. That hope can comfort us now, today, because you are with us. And it's your presence that we remember as we come before you in the presence of this table. As we remember the Passover, as we remember Pentecost.